Um, this is the second time that I've come to visit Creston uh, since starting work in Costa Rica. And uh, both times that I've come, I've preached. Uh, and that's pretty unusual. <laughs> uh, Pastor Sean, like most pastors, usually plans things out several months in advance. Two months, three months in advance. Uh, when I come to visit, it's usually with two to three weeks of warning. Um, things in Costa Rica often happen just out of the blue, and I find out, oh, I've, I've got some free time. I'm going to come, come visit. It's a bit of a surprise for me and for, for churches that I visit and for, for my family, too. Um, so it's, it's really strange that I'm, I'm two for two in terms of coming to visit and being able to <laughs> preach. Uh, the last time, uh, I was um, filling in when Pastor Sean, uh, when Anna was born. He was on paternity leave. Uh, Anna had been born the Sunday before, and I was going to be in town the Sunday after, and it just happened that it worked out well. This time, uh, Pastor Sean had tried nine different people asking if they could preach. When suddenly he gets my email, like, oh, I'm going to be in town. It's like, there we go. <laughs> there we go. Let's, let's do this. And, and who was I to say no? Like, <laughs> it's pretty clear that God set that up, right? Uh, when I plan things, it doesn't go that well, but, but God, God pulled this off. Um, so, yeah, the, the fact that I'm here with you preaching is a little bit bittersweet for me because it means I don't get to hear Pastor Sean preach. Uh, I regularly listen to his sermons online uh, down in Costa Rica. I'm, you know, sitting there listening, uh, catching up on, on what he's saying about uh, the gospel. And um, I, I have to emphasize that you really do have a truly gifted pastor. Um, I, I hope you let him know that. Uh, and I hope you realize just what a gift he is. Um, uh, when you hear a sermon from him that really touches you or that really forms you or shapes you as a Christian, let him know. <laughs> um, you know, don't, don't go home and I'll, I'll call him tonight, but uh, if something happens that he says that really touches you, write him a note. Um, pastors, uh, every pastor I know would like to get more, more feedback, and uh, I don't know, I haven't talked to Pastor Sean about this, but um, I, I really think that he's, he's super gifted, and I, I for one have benefited so much from his preaching, and I, I, I believe that you have too. <laughs> um, one of the sermons that Pastor Sean uh, that, that he gave that really has stuck with me is from 2011, uh, six years ago. It was the spring of 2011. And he preached on the story of two disciples uh, who meet the risen Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Uh, now, Pastor Sean's sermon was just amazing. It, it, I've been thinking about it for six years straight, basically. Uh, so, I'm up here uh, with a certain sense of fear and trembling, like, how can I possibly add anything to what he, what he said? But I'm, I'm hopeful that um, some of my reflecting in the context of Costa Rica, in the context of ministry, um, might um, contribute a little bit to the foundation that he already laid. Um, I recommend you, you go back and listen to it online, because it's just, it's excellent. I'll be re referencing it a few times in, in this sermon. Um, so I've been, I've been thinking about this text and praying about it for 
quite some time. So um, before I read it, let, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are here. You are with us. You've been preparing us for this moment for, for all of our lives. Um, you've been weaving together tapestry, and you've brought us here. You've prepared us to hear this message. And Lord, I pray that my words, um, that you speak through my words, uh, inadequate though they be. Uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord. Amen. So um, the passage is from Luke 24. Road to Emmaus. It's one of the most well-known passages in, in the Bible. It's just, it's captured the imaginations of so many different people. Uh, just what happened on that Easter morning. Uh, it's on page 1106, at least in my Bible. I'm not sure about yours. Um, now that same day, and this is Easter morning, Easter morning, uh, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem? Uh, and do not, are, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? And do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that, th that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them, 
assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Um, In the bulletin, it gives a a short overview of of my work, what I do. Um, A particular emphasis of of my work is theological education. Uh, So I'm I'm working at a seminary in Costa Rica, uh, doing Hebrew and Old Testament. Um, I also am kind of de facto the, the philosophy professor. Um, I studied some philosophy in college, and uh, the seminary wanted someone to teach it, and there weren't any other volunteers. So here I am. Um, and thinking of philosophy, uh, th- this, this text we're reading today, um, a philosopher came to my mind that really fits well with what's happening here. Uh, his name is David Hume. Uh, he's a Scottish philosopher from the 1700s. And uh, don't be scared by the word philosophy. It's just thinking about thinking. That's, 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 that's all it is, just thinking about thinking. And, and David Hume is really influential in terms of thinking about thinking, um, especially about matters of belief and knowledge. Um, what is, it, is it rational to believe things, and, and how do we get knowledge And one of his most influential arguments was about miracles. Uh, He said that you shouldn't believe someone when they tell you that they have seen a miracle. Uh, Hume said that miracles are extremely rare, if they happen at all, uh, but it is very common for a witness to be mistaken about something. So if a witness comes to you and and says that they've seen a miracle... Uh, Maybe they're mistaken, and maybe they're right, but it's more likely that they're mistaken. Uh, They've made a mistake. Either maybe maybe they're lying, maybe they didn't understand what happened, maybe they are confused. Um, Imagine if someone comes up to you and says that they just saw the Van Andel Arena lift 10 feet into the air, do a 360, and then come back down. If a stranger says this to you, uh, you might ignore them or be afraid. Um, This is clearly an unstable person. But if this were a friend, a trusted friend, someone that you trusted, uh, you would probably be frightened for their sake. Um, Are you okay? Uh, Let's get you home. Let's, 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 Let's get you to take a nap. You might even try to get them to go to the doctor. This is troublesome when someone comes to you with a story of a miracle. Uh, The challenge for Christians is that Hume uh, used this very strong argument to toss out the Bible. Uh, If you think about it, the Bible is testimony. And for Hume, testimony is unreliable. Uh, For Hume, uh, knowledge comes from the senses. Touching, tasting, feeling, hearing, smelling, that is knowledge. Testimony, that's not knowledge. It's not rational to trust someone's testimony, especially when you don't have evidence for it, like a, like a miracle. 
we weren't there to see, see David beat Goliath. And we weren't there to see the walls of Jericho fall. We weren't there to see Jesus rise from the dead. Uh, all we have are testimonies. And testimonies, according to Hume, are unreliable. And in part because of David Hume, uh, philosophy today is a field of study really dominated by atheists and agnostics, people who, who don't believe the Bible, who, who don't believe in God. Uh, many of the smartest people in the world today uh, think that Hume's argument is really persuasive. And there are some good arguments against Hume's views. Uh, Hume trusted his senses. How can we know that our senses are trustworthy? In today's passage, the disciples, <laughs> they, don't, they see Jesus, but they don't see him uh, trusting in senses. That's, that's a sort of faith as well, isn't it? Um, so Hume, his views, it's possible to challenge them. Um, but it's still, his views are very powerful. Uh, but it ends up that Hume wasn't the first person to doubt in miracles. Uh, today's passage takes place in the context of people doubting the greatest miracle ever. It's Easter Sunday. Jesus has been dead for three days. And Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James all go to the tomb. Instead of a body... They find two men in clothes that shone like lightning. And these two men give testimony concerning Jesus. He is not here. He is risen. They go back and they, they share their testimony with the eleven disciples concerning what they had heard and seen. And the eleven do not believe them. The Bible says, uh, the words of the women seemed to the disciples like nonsense. Uh, back in the day, uh, women were not viewed as reliable witnesses. In some places in the ancient world, women couldn't even testify in court. I find it so delightful that Jesus chose women to be the first recipients of the good news of the resurrection. Uh, he chose women as his first witnesses. The gospel starts to spread from the margins. But the disciples don't believe. Peter uh, went to the tomb himself to see with his own eyes. And he sees the strips of linen and he leaves wondering what had happened. Uh, when it comes to doubt, we, we tend to think of the disciple Thomas. Doubting Thomas, we call him. Uh, but really, they're all doubters. Doubting Peter, doubting James, doubting John, doubting Matthew, doubting Thaddeus. None of them gets a prize for outstanding faith. And in the midst of all this chaos and confusion and doubt on Easter Sunday, uh, two disciples leave Jerusalem. We don't know why they left. Maybe fear, uh, maybe the need to share the news of all this chaos and confusion with friends or family. We, we don't know why they left. But this story is set in contrast with the events of one week earlier. Uh, one week earlier, Jesus and the disciples entered Jerusalem with a jubilant parade. 
exactly one week earlier. But this, uh, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, this is not a triumphal entry. It's not a triumphal exit. It's a shame-filled retreat. They leave quietly through the back door. But as they leave Jerusalem, they encounter a stranger who walks alongside them. Now, we know it's Jesus, but they don't realize it. They knew Jesus. They were his followers. Uh, But today, they, they look into the eyes of their teacher, and they do not recognize him. His voice, which they had heard so many times before, sounds to them like the voice of a stranger. I like to think that I would recognize Jesus if I walked into him on the street. I like to think that there would be something familiar about him, about his voice, about his face, about his mannerisms. Jesus said that his sheep know him. They listen to his voice. I like to think that, I, that we would recognize Jesus if he showed up here at Creston on a Sunday morning. I like to think that we would nudge each other. You see that guy who just came in? You recognize him? It's Jesus. I like to think that Pastor Sean or whoever would be preaching that day uh, would step aside and say, I have a sermon planned, but you've you got to hear this guy. You've got to hear this guy. I like to think that I would recognize him. But in some ways it's wishful thinking. Jesus' own disciples didn't recognize him. They didn't see Jesus. They saw a stranger. But they invited this stranger to walk with them. And they opened up to this stranger about their lives. They're surprised that he doesn't know more about the events of the past few days concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Have you been living under a rock? But then their shock at his ignorance turns into shock at his knowledge. Uh, They had been following Jesus. We don't know how long. Uh, they had been a disciple, disciples of Jesus. They had been following him, listening to him. But this stranger, this stranger somehow knows more about Jesus than they do. He starts explaining to them all the things that were written in Scripture concerning him. You can imagine them eyeing each other. Did you see this guy at the Sermon on the Mount? I don't remember. Uh, He definitely wasn't there at the triumphal entry. At least I didn't see him there. Did you? Uh, Maybe he's a disciple of John. Where did he learn all this stuff? A few minutes earlier, they had been the ones condescendingly explaining about Jesus. Now everything flips. They learn They learn about Jesus. Uh, Jesus goes from being ignorant to knowledgeable. He goes from being the student to the teacher. I'll never forget this moment in Pastor Sean's sermon six years ago. He commented on this moment uh, when Jesus explains everything that's in Scripture about himself. 
to hear everything that the Bible teaches about Jesus, it would be the best sermon ever. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all the way to Malachi, all of Scripture is talking about Jesus. And Jesus, the master teacher, is explaining all of this to the disciples. If only we could go back in time with a microphone and some recording equipment, I wouldn't need to teach a class ever again. But here's the surprising thing. All of this knowledge, it doesn't help the disciples to see Jesus. They later say that their hearts had been burning in them while they had walked with Jesus and heard him talk about Scripture. Their hearts had been burning, but the best sermon ever didn't open their eyes. They continue walking in blindness, oblivious to the presence of the risen Christ. I spend a lot of time working with pastors in Latin America to help them understand what the Old Testament teaches about Jesus. Uh, I think that what I do is important. Uh, it's also important for me to remember uh, that knowledge about Jesus um, isn't what enabled the disciples to see him. It wasn't knowledge that opened their eyes. So they continue walking with Jesus, listening to him, hearing him, their hearts burning. And they reach Emmaus, their destination. And Jesus says he's going to keep going, even though it's getting dark. And they insist, no, you're staying with us. I think they may have had ulterior motives, wanting to hear more spend more time with this, this teacher. Uh, they insist, and they, they show hospitality to the stranger. They welcome him in, they invite him in, they sit him at their table, and they still don't recognize him. But there at the table, something happens. Jesus took the bread. Jesus blessed the bread. Jesus broke the bread. Jesus began to give them the bread. Uh, scholars aren't positive, uh, but there's good reason to think that these actions were usually done by the host at a dinner gathering. And Jesus takes the role of the host, taking, blessing, breaking, giving. The stranger who is the guest reveals himself to be Jesus, the host. Uh, today's passage is often connected with the Lord's Supper. Uh, in the eating of bread and drinking of wine, uh, we see Jesus. But what is the Lord's Supper if not divine hospitality? We prepare the wine and the bread. But whose table is this? Who feeds us here? It's God. Divine hospitality. The student becomes the teacher. The guest becomes the host. The stranger is revealed to be Jesus. Jesus flips our expectations. Jesus flips the roles. We invite him but he 
invites us. And in that moment, we see. Uh, I've got a story. Um, I'll need my backpack for this. Um, I've never shared this story in a sermon before. Uh, and I don't know what to make of this story. I'm going to share it with you as I experienced it. It took place in Egypt. I lived in Egypt for a while before coming to seminary. And um, I worked at this, this school, this school run by Christians. Um, and for some reason, uh, going home from the school, I would be put on the kindergartner bus, which was, was uh, quite an experience. Um, there would be kids like surfing along the tops of the the benches and and all sorts of gymnastics that you know made ball on top speed crossing the Nile on the bridge and just all sorts of things. Um, uh, I would get home after this and I would buy myself a chocolate bar. <laughs> I would go to my room, put in earplugs, put on a face mask, sensory deprivation. And chocolate. Uh, overstimulation. But, but on this bus ride, um, the, the kids would be eating their lunches. They would be eating their lunches. And they would have these sandwiches with cheese on them. Really crumbly sandwiches and really crumbly cheese and really dry. They would have their sandwiches. Then they'd be thirsty. Now, I, I had a backpack. Not this same backpack. But I had a backpack like this. And um, I had a water bottle in this side package, this side pocket thing. This isn't the same water bottle. Uh, I borrowed this from Sean and, and Lauren. I'm staying at their house. Um, but these, these kids, uh, mouths filled with crumbs, would ask me for water. So I would dutifully take out the water bottle and share it. I'd come back with all sorts of crumbs, the backwash of like, 20 kids. Um, so it, it really kind of freaked me out. As a, a germaphobe, I kind of felt uncomfortable with this. So one, one day, I was fed up with it. I said, I'm, I'm going to take this bottle. I'm going to stick it inside my backpack where they can't see. There we go. And I got on the bus, and I was sitting in the back. And this particularly, precoci this particularly precocious kid named Ahmed uh, had his, his cheese sandwich. He, he ate it and he said, uh, Micah, uh, can I have some water? And I said, look, I don't have my water bottle. <laughs> and immediately um, I thought of the passage uh, where Jesus said, I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. And I thought, <laughs> but I was like, I can get over this. I can deal with the shame. I can get, I can get through this. Uh, so Ahmed, a minute later, says, I'm thirsty. Uh, do you have water? And I said, look, Ahmed, like, look, I don't have my bottle with me. And again, <laughs> remembering I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. And I, I thought, I, I, can, I can deal with the shame, I can deal with the guilt, I just don't want backwash in my bottle. <laughs> um, a third time, 
Ahmed says, Micah, I am really thirsty. And I said, look, don't you see, I don't have this bottle with me. And in that moment, uh, another verse came to me. Three times you'll deny me. And <laughs> I was just overwhelmed. <laughs> Could this be Jesus? Is, is this him? Have I just denied him? So I, I motioned Ahmed over. And I said, I've got a secret. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I have a water bottle. And uh, you can have some. And I took it out and I shared it with him. And he forgave me. <laughs> he didn't hold it against me. Um, but in that moment... I believe that I was with Jesus. Um, after he drank the water and it passed around, he was back to being normal Ahmed. Um, but in that moment, I believe I was in the presence of Jesus. Um, I thought I was being host to those kindergartners, right? But they were hosting me. I gave them water. They gave me hospitality, acceptance, love, forgiveness. A after the experience with Ahmed, I, I haven't had any other such epiphanies. I haven't had one of those moments of heart-stopping fear and hope combined. I, I don't run around like that. Uh, but I continue trying to seek the face of Jesus and those around me. Opening myself up to moments of reciprocal hospitality. Moments where I think I'm giving, but I end up receiving. Uh, last time I was here, um, I preached about my, my life in Costa Rica. And I, I used the image of a, a little blue bench that's in my park. There's a park right by my house. It's a little blue bench. I sit there and I watch the world go by and I observe it. I, I, I watch what God is doing. I, I watch what's happening in my neighborhood. I look for signs of God. And, th and that's, a, that's a strong image, but th today the image is one of walking with strangers, sitting with strangers, eating with strangers, finding Jesus, giving hospitality, but then receiving hospitality. In my Hebrew classes, um, I'm, I'm the teacher with all the knowledge, right? <laughs> but so many times my students have pointed out things that I totally missed. Um, they, they, they don't know Hebrew yet, uh, but they know the Bible far better than I do. And um, they open it up to me on a daily basis, showing me, uh, teaching me more about Jesus. I have, I have a chess club that I run for local kids in the neighborhood. I actually heard that someone here is involved with chess and maybe something in the neighborhood. Let's connect whoever it is. Got, got ideas. <laughs> um, but in, in that moment, I, I, I'm a host. I, I open up my house. We have the chess boards laid out. Um, but these, these kids who, who could be doing anything else on a Friday night, <laughs> anything else, hanging out with friends, watching TV, going to the mall, they come hang out with me. They play chess with me, showing me 
hospitality and love and acceptance. Um, at church, the church where I attend, uh, they've made me feel so welcome. I try to offer what I can to help them with their, their youth group, uh, but really they've given me far more than I could ever give them. And this isn't a strange concept for you here, I think. Um, one particular story sticks out in my mind from when I lived here. Um, I don't know if you still have them, but community dinners, the, the community dinners. I remember there was one community dinner in particular where the neighbors who had been living in this house, um, they'd come and they said, we want to cook next time. <laughs> we want to provide the meal. And some of you had to like scratch your heads and think, are we going to receive hospitality from them? And yeah, yeah, let, let's go for it. It's complicated. Um, it's confusing at times. But in that moment of reversed hospitality, um, I think it builds faith. Uh, when I experience hospitality um, that, that's flipped on me, surprisingly, uh, it's a moment where I see Jesus. Jesus has met me out there. We, we step out into the world. Uh, it's a world filled with fears and with dangers. Uh, doing ministry, loving your neighbor, getting down in the, in the dirt with your neighbor, uh, it's risky. Uh, but receiving hospitality in surprising ways is a way of opening our eyes and, and showing us who Jesus is. These events uh, of encountering Jesus are faith-building. And God provides. God provides. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Jesus, you are alive. You are alive. You're living today. You're walking amongst us. Uh, teach us, Lord, to love you. Teach us to serve you by serving and loving those around us. Uh, show us your face, Lord. We want to see you. Uh, we want to experience your presence. Uh, thank you for the moments when you reveal yourself to us, the God moments, the encounters with you. Thank you for those moments. In your name I pray, amen.